Good morning, everyone. Just a couple of housekeeping items before we start. Um, and I just, I just, as Pastor Matt was talking about missions, 170-some percent, and being one in the state of New Jersey for BGMC and Speed of Light Giving, it was yesterday at a men's small group Bible study, I asked this question. What is the desire of your heart? What is the desire of your heart? And we went around and shared, and, and I, I said this, and I mean this so much. The desire of my heart is to express the desire of God's heart in reaching the lost for him. That's my desire, man. That's why I, 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 my heart beats for missions. My, my heart beats for missionaries. I, I love raising money for missions. Uh, man, I, I remember uh, Bones. I'm going to call you Bones, Bones and Susan, <laughs> Tony and Sue. I, I remember when you guys were here and we hung the flag up to Japan, when you guys were missionaries in Japan. And so good to have you guys in town. And, and just for those who do not know, Peggy, our deepest sympathy to you. Peggy lost her mother on Friday. And tomorrow her husband is going through double di- di- bypass surgery. So... One inappropriate shirt Peggy's got on, it says grateful. Hey, and that's grateful for the life of her mother and her knowing Jesus at the end. And Jay, man, it's, uh, I'll talk to you later, Jay. Jay, I always call him my hero. I, I just, the other desire in my heart is I want to be like Jay. No. <laughs> um, hey, Guy, I see you there. Uh, we welcome you to membership. Come on up. We, we welcomed you a couple weeks ago. I know you were not able to be here, but I just want to give you your official certificate. Now you're a card-carrying member of First Assembly of God, and you get a 55% discount at Starbucks. <laughs> Dennis and Linda Snyder have been friends to me for, I was counting about 37 years now. And I always remember going to ministers' meetings, and Linda would always be there with Dennis, and Linda was always such a kind person, and uh, she's at home in glory today. And Dennis has served our network so faithfully for so many years and pastoring down at Tom's River as a youth pastor. And then over for Tinton Falls for many years. And I was honored when they asked us if we could host a memorial service for her. So that will be this Saturday. And if and you can help in any way, uh, we're going to feed the family afterwards. And we need some servers, some bakers. I Pastor Matt mentioned all of that. So, hey, I, I want to get started. Um, so excited about this series, Winning the War in Your Mind. I wonder how many of you, how many of you are in the middle of what we would call a decent life for most part? You're in the middle of a decent life for the most part. Yeah. Come on. And when you look around at the whole world, I mean, we are in the middle of a, all of us. We have a pretty decent life going for us, for the most part. Yet, 
How many of you find yourself complaining a lot? How is it? How is it that we can have almost everything we need, but yet we find ourselves complaining so much? How is it that we can go through life enjoying the things of life, but then all of a sudden this thought drifts in our mind of something we don't like. And all of a sudden we find ourselves negative, critical, and complaining. What is it about our mind? Well, as we've been saying through this whole series, we know that our mind is a battlefield. And most of life's battles are won and lost in the mind. We've also been saying that the life you have is often the reflection of what you think or the thoughts you think. Solomon says it so well, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. If you have a negative mind, it's almost impossible to have a positive life because your mind is constantly being bombarded with negative thoughts. So the old attitude is change the thinking, change the way you live. But how many know it's hard to change our thinking from time to time? We know what we should do, but Paul says, the things I want to do, I I don't do. We're going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. As we've been using 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 3 through 5 as a theme for this Series. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Paul goes on to say, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We don't don't fight with the same weapons of this world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. And throughout this whole series... The strongholds we have been talking about is the wrongful pattern of thinking. The wrongful pattern of thinking. So many people are held in bondage. So many people are in hostage to lies they believe. But we have power to demolish the strongholds. We demolish arguments and pretensions and allegation of doubtful value that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Now, I know that is tiring. But if you want to change your outlook, if you want to change your negative outlook, you got to start taking captive every thought to get rid of the negative and start accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. That's a song in case you didn't know. (laughs) 
I didn't do that in the first service. The message of my title this morning is Defeat Your Negative Thoughts. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would give us the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit to renew our minds. Lord, I ask that you would demolish this morning the patterns of wrongful thinking. I ask that you would demolish negative thoughts. I ask that you would demolish hurtful lies. I ask that you would demolish toxic lies that hold us captive and replace it with the truth of your word. Give us your mind so that we may live according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I just want to talk for a moment of how we process knowledge. We process knowledge, we process information, believe it or not, through our five senses. We receive information, knowledge, from our five senses. Our five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. You know, you touch a hot stove, you know that it's hot, not to touch it again. And how we receive this knowledge, it now is processed in our mind. Uh, the, the function of our mind is, is a word they use in the psychology of cognition. It's the mental action or the process of acquiring knowledge. We acquire knowledge through our five senses and understanding through thought, experience, and the senses. That's how we acquire knowledge. Now, it was so interesting last week that as Pastor Matt talked about taking back your mind, he talked about neuropathways. Neuropathways that are made in our minds through something we keep thinking about, it kind of like edges in our minds. Once again, you touch a hot stove, you know that it's hot. A neuropathway is made not to touch a hot stove so I don't get burned again. Now, those neuropathways can be positive learning experiences, but also we can make neuropathways of lies that we have allowed to enter into our mind. And these neuropathways of lies can then cause us to be negative. Over the past two years, we've heard a lot about confirmation bias. Anybody ever hear of confirmation bias? We have so many differing opinions, and, and you want to make sure that your opinion is right. So you go on the internet, and then finally you find something that supports your opinion, and you use that whether it's right or wrong. We call it confirmation bias. And we all have something to back up what we believe and why we believe it. Even though it may not be right or wrong, we, we call it confirmation bias. Well, I learned this week that there's something called cognitive bias. Cognitive bias is mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. Now, let me give you an example of cognitive bias. At the age of 10, I was attacked by a German shepherd. It was not a pleasant experience that my friend had to run in to get his dad to get the dog off of me. 
Now, because of that experience, I have a cognitive bias. I have a pathway that has been etched in my mind that says this. All dogs are bad. I don't care what breed. I don't care what color. I don't care big or small. A cognitive bias that I have, sorry, all dogs are bad. And I'm sure that all of us from time to time have had an unpleasant experience and we paint with a broad brush of a cognitive bias. Now, I did some more research on cognitive bias, and this is an article by Kandrin Cherry, who, who in this article, you, you may be sitting there and you think, well, well, I'm not biased. Well, let's see if you fit any one of these categories that fall under being cognitive biased. Only paying attention to news stories that confirm your opinion. <coughs> hmm. Ouch. I had a guy after the first service said, Pastor, you got me on every one. <laughs> Blaming outside factors when things don't go your way. Because it's never your fault. Attributing other people's success to luck, but taking personal credit for your own accomplishments. Assuming that everyone else shares your opinions or beliefs. <laughs> Learning a... I love this last one. Learning a little bit about a topic and assuming you know all there is about it. Cognitive bias. But then the article went on where she says this. Cognitive bias may also increase as people get older due to the decrease of cognitive flexibility. And I'm like... That's not me. As I get older, I don't get set in my ways. Now, there's a good example of cognitive bias. But then all of a sudden, I start to realize, maybe that is me. Because the older we get, the less flexible. The older we get, the more our minds are made up what and why we believe. And old cognitive bias seems to increase. That it's my way or the highway. Cognitive bias. Now, how does this play into negative thinking? Because a lot of our biases make us very opinionated and make us very critical or negative of other thoughts and other people. So, in how to defeat, defeating our negative thoughts, I want to be very practical and this morning, I want to give you three tools that you can use to help defeat negative thoughts. We're going to talk about filters, filtering. We're going to talk about framing. And we're going to talk about fortitude. Three tools to help us defeat and win the war on negative thoughts. And let me remind you that this pastor is preaching to himself. And I'll tell you my takeaway at the end. So let's talk about a mental filter. What is a mental filter? A mental filter shapes how you see. It shapes how you see. 
Now, in my office, if you've ever been in my office, I have this picture sitting behind my desk. And people see it different ways. What, what do you see? What do you see? Come on. A storm. Who sees a storm? Who sees darkness? Who sees trouble? Who sees a lighthouse? Okay. Everybody, through their own filter, sees this picture in different ways. Because the filter we use shapes how we see. I had a person come into my office, and they go, what, what's, that's a dark picture to have in a pastor's office. It's very dark. It's, it, the clouds are dark. The waves are high. It's, pa- Pastor, what do you, you expect storms all the time? I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't see it that way. When I come in my office every day, I'm reminded as I go to my office chair that in the midst of adversities, in the midst of storms, in the midst of darkness, there's a guiding light to see us through. That's how I see it. That no matter what comes over my desk, no matter what trouble comes my way, no matter what phone call I receive, I'm reminded there's always a guiding light in the midst of the adversities and the storms and the trials of life that will see us through and guide us through. A filter shapes how you view life. That's why some people see the glass half empty and others see it half full. It all depends upon the filter. Now, a lot of you millennials, you use filters all the time. You take a selfie. You don't like it. You take a, After the 50th selfie you take that you still don't like, you get tired of taking another picture of yourself, so you doctor up the picture with certain filters to make it the way you want to make it look like, so then you feel good about posting that picture. Come on, how many have done that? Thank you for your honesty. It was last June, we, Heather and I celebrated our 40th anniversary, and we went to Clinton, New Jersey, where we got married, and we visited the site where we had our wedding reception at, the old Clinton Mill, the, the Red Mill, and we were there, and we're baby boomers. We don't do selfies. I don't do selfies. Oh, Heather doesn't do selfies. <laughs> and I'm come, come on, hey, let's do a selfie. You know, come on, this is a monumental occasion. Come on, let's, let's, so we're sitting there, you know, not knowing how to do selfies, and some might come along and said, hey, do you want us to take a picture of you? Yes, please. And he took this, we don't have many pictures of each other. He took this beautiful picture of us. So what do we do? We share it with our kids, and they put a filter on it. And it totally changes the feel, doesn't it? And then like our kids, our grandkids do the same thing, and they put a different feel to it. Because a filter changes how you see. How you see changes how you feel. So how does cognitive bias play into this? 
Most people believe that cognitive bias is what we might call a default filter. A default filter. You go back to, because of our old human nature, our old self, a lot of times the default is negative, critical, complaining. That's the old man. And what we need to do is we need to learn how to change the filters. All dogs are bad because of my experience with a German Shepherd. That's how I see dogs. My wife grew up with Lady and Amos. That were not, they were not her siblings. They were her dogs. So she sees dogs in a total different filter. Dogs are good companions. They're good to have around. So we had lived here about 24, we're on our 27th year. We'd lived here about 25 years. And there was this couple in the church that said, oh, our neighbors had these basset hound puppies. Now we have a clash of filters. My wife says, let's go see them. And I'm like, all dogs are bad. Yeah, but I grew up with dogs, and dogs can be helpful. They can be, they can be good for the psyche. And she's going through all this thing, and I'm thinking, happy wife, happy life. <sighs> Just because we look doesn't mean we have to bring one home, because all dogs are bad. So we went to see these little basset hounds, cute little things, And all of a sudden, I start to maybe realize, maybe just German shepherds are bad. Maybe all dogs aren't bad. And we brought this little cute basset hound home with the big ears that it kept tripping over. Lucy, wasn't it the dog's name Lucy? But then there was another cognitive bias that developed. Dogs are expensive. (laughs) And because of her long ears, she picked up these mites, and we were taking it to the vet all the time. And she had wipe. I mean, and and then dogs get puppies get bigger, and a basset hound became very big. And the pleasure of walking the dog was no longer a pleasure walking the dog because the dog was pulling you. Big muscular. So it got to the point where we had to find it a happy home. Dogs are bad. Dogs are expensive. But I like dogs. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't get one so big. Can we go to the shelter? So we went to the Ocean County shelter and we brought home this wired hair terrier named Spruce, who had a cognitive bias. He didn't like humans. (laughs) All dogs are bad. He, my default went into confirmation mode. He showed his teeth to everyone. So we had, when we moved from our parsonage, which was right here, Uptown to our townhouse, we decided we can't take this dog in the neighborhood. Found it a good home. Dogs are expensive. Dogs are bad, no matter what size. 
no matter what breed. Happy wife, happy life. But, hun, my mom is allergic to dogs, and I would like to have my mom come to visit. So let's not get another dog. Mom passes away. (laughs) And we get a little mixed, I don't know, Shih Tzu Maltese. He became my friend. He became a lap dog. He became the one at 5 o'clock in the morning scratching on the side of the bed. I need to go out, Daddy. And all of a sudden, my filter was changed. That maybe not all dogs are bad. Because you change the filter and you change how you feel. However, when I see a German shepherd, I still go back to default mode. Now, that's why two people can be in the same place at the very same time and observe the very same event and come back with two different opinions. We see this in the Bible. We see this in Numbers chapter 12. When Moses is going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, he sends 12 spies into the land. The 12 spies all view the same land, the same territory. They all see the same thing. Ten of them come back and say, there's no way we can take possession of that land. That land devours people, which is kind of funny. The land devours people. It just, it's a land that just sucks you right in. Besides, the people living in the land, they're giants, And we look like grasshoppers. There's just no way we can do this. But there were two other men, Joshua and Caleb, who says, we should go up and take possession of the land. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful. It's amazing. They have huge grapes. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And God promised it to us. We should go up and take what God has given to us. But the men who gone up and said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They, sh- they spread a bad news among the Israelites about the land they explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And the ten had a cognitive bias concerning the promise of God to take the land. Now, you know what I find so interesting about this story? Is notice, 10 out of 12 had a negative report. And I don't believe that's a coincidence because I believe it's human nature. It's that default mode that makes us afraid, negative, and critical all the time. And I'm telling you, oh, how we need to rise above that default mode and become like Joshua and Caleb and take possession of the land which God has promised. Framing. Change the frame. Change how you feel. Now, I want to talk about another tool. Thank you, Pastor Matt, right on time. 
I want to talk about framing, okay? Because you see what's in, come here, Pastor Matt, you see what's inside a frame. Who do you see? Who do you see? How you frame something is what you see. That's why it's frustrating to go on a missions trip, to take in your whole surroundings, you come back with these little snapshots that are only a frame, and you don't get the whole feel of the whole place. Pastor Matt, going to Israel, it's, you get there and you see the whole Sea of Galilee, you bring home this little picture, and it's still not the same. So, in talking about framing, there's this concept of reframing. Sometimes there are situations that you need to reframe so you look at it in a different way. Let me just give you an, an example. You wake up in the morning and you just know it's going to be a dark day. It's going to be a bad day. For those who can't see up here, it's on the back, the frame is on the bottom right hand corner. This is going to be a bad day. I have so much work to do. I don't have enough time to do it. It's impossible that they inspect me to do everything that I need to do. My life has been so busy. I'm so tired. My schedule has allowed me to burn the candle at both ends. And I don't even know how they expect me to show up to work and expect me to get everything done that they're expecting me to get done. Plus the fact there are interruptions. And those interruptions just bug me because those interruptions keep me from doing what I need to do. Plus I hate the people I work with. I hate my job. I just don't want to go to work. Come on, right? It's going to be a bad day. Now, we can reframe it. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I know it's going to be a busy day. I know I got a lot to accomplish, but thank God you are with me. God, give me the ability to work efficiently to get everything I need to get done. And God, even for those interruptions that may come my way, thank you for them that I get to speak in people's lives, that I get to pray for people. And God, I thank you for those I even work with that I may be an example of godliness to them. And God, thank you for giving me a job. Lord, I know there's a lot to do, but you're going to give me the enabling power to do it. The facts are the same. It's going to be a busy day with a lot to do, but it's all a matter of how we frame it. Got it? Now let me give you one of the one of, one of the most, I consider, amazing examples in the Bible when it comes to framing. On the top of Paul's prayer list, he wanted to go to Rome. And you know why he wanted to go to Rome? Because Rome was such a strategic area in the world. All roads lead to Rome. He knew that if he could go and preach in Rome, that the effects of preaching in Rome could reach the whole world. It was that strategic. It was on his bucket list. It was his greatest desire. It was his dream that he could preach in Rome, evangelize in Rome. 
Anybody know how he got to Rome? Not as an evangelist, but he got there as a prisoner. Taken as a prisoner, as a Roman citizen, to appeal his case, chained, under house arrest, possibly facing execution. Now, I want to read from the New W.T. translation. Anybody know what the New W.T. translation is? The New Winers translation. (laughs) Paul could have framed it like this. Brothers, I want you to know what has happened to me. It really stinks. I can't believe for all the trouble that I'm going through, When all the great sacrifices I have made. I can't believe all that I've done for God. And look where it's gotten me. In prison. House arrest. Chained to prisoners. Facing execution. I want you to know that if I get out of here. I'm quitting every life group I belong to. And I'm not going to church again. The New Winers translation. That's not really a translation but. But look, when he writes to the church at Philippi, how he frames it. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened, what has happened? There were many who were, oh, poor Paul. There were many things people were thinking, it can't get much worse than him being in prison. But so Paul says, I, I want you to know that what has really happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole prison guard. Paul was chained to a prison, a guard. Every eight hours, they changed the guard. Paul, every eight hours, had a captive audience that he could preach and witness the gospel of Jesus Christ to. And after eight hours, another guard would come. After eight hours, another guard would come. Who do you think the real prisoner is here? And he says, as a result, throughout the whole palace guard, to everyone else, they know that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers, the Lord has been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. What could have been framed like this, Paul framed in the light and the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to be accused of presenting sometimes a simple solution for complex problems. There are times when you change the filter, you change how you see, you change the way you feel. And there are sometimes situations where you can frame it from dark to light. But I also realize... There are some situations that are so devastating, so terrible, so traumatic, that it's hard 
to change the frame and to change the filter. That's where we need fortitude. Fortitude is described as or defined as strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger, bear pain, or adversity with courage. Let's be realistic. There are some times, man, there, there's some situations you can't reframe, you can't change the filter. You just need a strength of mind to encounter the danger and bear the pain and the adversity with courage. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, David is running from Saul. In fact, he and his men and the wives and the children are in a land, in an area that the Philistines gave them called Ziglag. Now, it just so happened that David and his men were, were following and joining the army of the Philistines. They were always in the back. David just wanted to be supportive of the country they gave him to live in while he was hiding from Saul. And, and now the, the Philistines are going up against the Israelites. Now, there's a controversy for you. Here is David and his Hebrew men going to fight his former country. And this commander of, of the Philistine army is not comfortable with it. He says, listen, man, I, I'm afraid you might turn your back on us and, and, and we're, we're going to be squeezed. And, and you, you, David, I, I, we appreciate it, but you and your men need to go back to Ziglag, where, that, that area we gave you to, to dwell in. So David and his men marched back to Ziglag. What David and his men didn't know before they got there, the Malachites came in. The Malachites came in and took captive every woman, every boy, and every girl. And they set fire to the entire camp. When David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives, sons, and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept so loud until they had no more strength to weep. Okay, pastor, frame that. Change the filter on this. There are some events in life that are very devastating. And to make matters worse, David was greatly distressed because now his men are talking of stoning him. And we don't mean stoning in the 22nd century. or We, we mean stoning in Bible days before, well, yeah, that plant. Stoning, killing him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his son's and his daughters. My friends, there are some situations in life that are real, true. So, Pastor, what tool do we use now? You got to fortify the mind. Listen to what David says, David does. But David found strength in the Lord his God. In the midst of tragedy, 
in the midst of an event where these men cried till they could cry no longer. In the event where his men were so bitter that they were really to stone his leader. David fortitude his mind. He found strength that gave him courage to go through. And as he strengthened himself in the Lord, as he found strength in the Lord his God, we read down in verse 8 that David inquired of the Lord. And as he inquired of the Lord, the Lord told David to go to the camp of the Malachites and take back what the enemy has taken from you. Demolish the strongholds. Go get your wives and your children. There are some times in life where it's hard to reframe and hard to change the filter where you just need to strengthen yourself in the almighty power of God to get you through. Hebrews 12.2 says, as we bring this to a close, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for what? Who for what? What gave him joy? Who for joy set before him the cross? When most people would look to the cross like this, Jesus looked to the cross like this, scorning its shame. Why did Jesus find joy going to the cross? Because he knew he was redeeming mankind back to their creation, back to their creator. The joy was doing the will of his father. Lord, if this cup could pass before me, please let it pass But nevertheless, not your will, but let your will be done. Not my will, but let your will be done. And Jesus, and God said to Jesus, for the joy of mankind, for the joy of forgiveness of sins, for the joy of eternal life, Jesus went to the cross for no other reason than he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes we can change the filter. Sometimes we can reframe. And sometimes we just need to get down on our knees and fortify our mind and find strength in our Savior. Bow your heads with me. Father, once again, by the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, right now, God, right now, demolish negative thoughts, cognitive biases, harmful, hurtful, toxic lies, And let us take every thought captive and make it obedient to your truth, to your word, whether it's true or whether it's a lie. I ask that you would start preparing your hearts for communion at this time. And 
as you prepare your hearts for communion. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You never ask God to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're framing death in darkness when God gave you His Son so you can frame death in light. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ, you want to make your peace with God, you want to receive this gift of eternal life, where death now becomes light and not darkness. You say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want him to forgive me of my sins. I want him to come in my heart. I want to receive this gift of eternal life. I want to live my life for him. If that's your sincerest desire, would you just raise your hand for a moment? I'm not going to call you up. I just want to pray with you. But you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I just want to, yes, God bless you. I see those two hands. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Those who have raised their hands, if you just want to repeat this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and forgiving me of my sins. I now open the door of my heart to receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. I want to live for you. Grant to me the gift of eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. Can someone bring me a communion cup? I thought I had one up here. Thank you, Heaven. As we are preparing our hearts, God, uproot the negative thoughts, uproot the critical spirit, uproot the bitterness, uproot the cognitive bias that have formed its neurological pathways of lies and wrongful thinking. Forgive me of my sins. As we prepare our hearts, we ask that you would now prepare the elements. Just peel back the first layer, the cellophane cellophane layer to get the bread. And then you can peel back the second layer, which is the foil to prepare the cup. as we hold these elements. I think of the words that Jesus said on the eve of his betrayal at celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He took the bread, gave thanks, he broke it. He says, this bread represents my body. Spirit broken, yet for joy. Take, eat in remembrance of him. In the same manner, he took the cup, and after he gave thanks, he says, this cup represents a new covenant. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. 
who for joy set before him. Just for our salvation, the shedding of his blood, drink ye all of it in remembrance of him. now for the rest of the story (laughs) my takeaway a sermon is only good if it's preached to yourself first and I become aware that as I mature and get older we'll call it maturing I see the more set in my ways the more cognitive biases that form in my mind which can create bitterness, fear, critical spirit. And I've been around some people that as they age, they get very old, bitter, cranky, crotchety. What other words? And this week I said, Lord, want to grow graceful I want to grow positive I I just want to grow in the joy of the Lord and and at the end of the seasons of my life I I don't want to be that crotchety old man who's just bitter I want to be one who expresses the joy of the Lord in all things And you know what the Lord basically laid upon my heart? You can't wait then to change. You need to change now. Start the process now of refiltering, reframing, and fortifying. God bless you.